You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick, and today I've got a very special guest, Abby Echeverry, who has an EP coming out on The Bunker tomorrow, and we're going to get right into a live set from her. Uh, yeah, I think we should get right in, so enjoy. You're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio.
You're listening to Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick, and we just heard a live set from Abby Echeverry. Um, that was really incredible. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And that was based on the set you played in Detroit in the Come Down Room. Yeah. Kind of similar vibes. Yeah, so it's a lot slower than my normal sets. I usually like to play more techno or electro sets. So Yeah, and very different from... Uh, you have an EP coming out tomorrow, actually, on The Bunker New York, and that sounds, I mean, I can hear similarities in the palette, but like quite a different vibe mm-hmm. than that set. Um, so you've worked, I think I knew you more first as a like a sound engineer. You've done a lot of work in sound engineering, and I've asked, I asked this question on recent shows we did with both Clay and Taria, like what, what effect being a sound engineer and spending all that time in the club has had on your like just DJing and productions and just general approach to music, I guess. Um, well, I get, I get to listen to a lot of music and find out about a lot of music through work, which is really cool. So I'm, I'm really into collecting obscure records and that definitely influences the type of music I play. So that's kind of the tracks I'm going to play now. And yeah, I get to learn a lot more about different things, hearing them out. And um, I also see a lot of live sets, live electronic sets. So I get to see people's uh, process for creating that. And I think that really helps me just kind of see other people do it and yeah. see how they, how they struggle and how they sound check and everything. Yeah, because you're awesome. not just you're not just seeing the performance like everybody else. You're helping them set up, seeing all the gear they're plugging in, trying to make them sound good. It's like a mm-hmm. very insider view of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, for a while it was actually kind of kind of bad for my creative process because I would listen to music all day and I would want to get home and listen to silence and now that I'm not working in nightclubs anymore I'm able to work on music as soon as I get home and yeah and yeah. I actually work from home so yeah so how, how long was your tenure in working in nightclubs um I was at output for almost three years as head of sound and before that I was working at small clubs in the city doing sound and um and yeah, I'm still working on Despacio whenever that happens, which is um, happening next week. Or, yeah, next week. For our listeners who don't know, because I, I actually didn't know a lot about it until you invited me to come to the Knockdown Center to see what you were doing. What What is Despacio all about? Because I was, I was personally deeply impressed by the whole scenario and your role in it. So maybe if you could just talk about what it is, what it's trying to achieve, and yeah, the role you play in all that. Yeah, um, it was mostly, it's, it was started by Too Many DJs and James Murphy, um, and they really wanted a place to play some of their slower music, which is definitely um, some of the stuff I'm playing too. And they wanted to have a sound system that was like an audiophile living room for a dance floor. So um, I helped them with their DJ booth where they play all vinyl and have custom rotary equipment. And um, 
my mentor designed the sound system. So there's seven stacks and a lot of Macintosh amps, and I usually hook it all up and run the sound and tune it and everything. Right. But you also had some, maybe this will get into the next area of talking about like your work in audio equipment design. You also have some custom pieces or something, I believe you were explaining to me, that are part of their setup. Like how how does that work? Yeah. Um, so me and a coworker, Jens, um, worked on some of their DJ equipment. So it's all rack mounted and every turntable there's four turntables and they each have their own isolator and we had to develop some stuff for them to make that interface with digital effects because as you know like or maybe you don't know um some uh most rotary mixers don't really have any effects built in and of course djs want to use that so we we made um an effects and uh rack unit for that and we also modified the turntables so they had um, they had better power, basically, to put it in layman's terms. Right. Yeah. And how did you, I mean, where did you learn this, both the sound engineering and the, I mean, audio equipment design is something that's totally foreign to me in a way. Like, how, how did you pick this up and figure out how to build? I mean, I know... You made a mixer for LCD sound system yeah. as well. Like you're really you're you're building like pretty intense, complicated things from completely from scratch. Yeah, um, I was mo- I actually started out as working in music studios as just another assistant engineer, and the role of the assistant engineer is pretty much just setting up microphones. So it's Um, There's nothing that technical about it, but things would break every now and then, and um, somebody noticed that I was really interested in fixing those things. So I started out soldering, um, just soldering for a 500 series company, and that's called Assembly Tech. Um, And then I just got more interested in the electronics of it and started teaching myself and um, having my mentors kind of give me books and reading about it. And yeah, now I'm, I would call myself a product designer. Yeah. But you're, so you're pretty much self-trained in this basic, well, not self-trained people are helping you out, but you didn't, you didn't go to school, like a traditional school for this. You just mm, No, I mean, I took like, I took like electronics 101, but most of it is self-taught through breadboarding and hours and hours of trial and error and reading lots of really old books from the 70s. Right. And you have, uh, is it officially a company where you're doing the isolators and such things? Yeah, I design for a company with two other people who are my mentors, um, Jens Jankerth and John Klett. And um, yeah, it's called Nonlinear Audio. And we we mostly make 500 series modules, which is just another format similar to rack unit modules um, or units. And uh, and also my isolator, which is my second product with them that was like entirely my, or yeah, mostly my design. So that was my baby. And that was kind of our first foray into DJ equipment. And now I think I'm starting to do more of that. But we're also developing... Um, we're working on a lot, a lot of stuff right now, mostly uh, for music studios. And um, one of the big things, I can't say too much about it, but right now we're working on a large 
large format mixing console, which takes up a lot of my time because it's like 64 <laughs> channels and. So uh, what about <laughs> what about a DJ mixer? Maybe is that is that something you would design or have thought about designing? Because I know a lot of your experience with engineering is, you know, you mentioned output is in the nightclub. Yeah, I, I'm working on a DJ mixer right now. Actually, um, it's for a client and it's very specific to his kind of parties, but I'd like to do a mixer, make a mixer for myself. And it's, it's rare that I get to design stuff for myself because it, design equipment requires a lot of money. So yeah. so yeah, I'd love to make a DJ mixer that's just for myself or kind of where I'm specking exactly how it works and everything. And yeah. Hopefully I'll have some time at some point to do it. So most of the stuff you're designing and talking about, it's either a really low run or it sounds like you're doing a lot of literal one-off things. Like you're not, you're not necessarily producing things that are going to be commercially available to the public, at least in any. Yeah. The, well, the 500 series stuff is available to the public, but, um, a lot of the other things I've worked on are commissions and, um, we call them built to order. Um, so yeah, some of the things, like the first big project that I took on was just a modification, not a design. So that was definitely like, I was modifying these Trident FlexiMix consoles, which are from like 1979 or something. And, uh, yeah, it's very, very specific work. And I would like to, I've been trying to make stuff that's more accessible because, yeah, I have a lot of friends who would use it, definitely. Yeah, so it seems like, yeah, a lot of what you're doing, I don't know if there's some way, you, you, you're not really, well, obviously you're constrained by budget, but not in a way as if you were designing something like completely commercial where you're trying to, like every little part is, has a, has a budget in mind. Yeah. So kind of, it's, it's a different kind of design, right? It's, because yeah, it's I not, think, not um, necessarily the sky's the limit, but right. you, can, you have more freedom. The yeah the categ the term that most people call it is boutique audio because um, it's just way higher quality than your consumer level uh, equipment. So yeah, I'd like to do more stuff for my friends and for musicians rather than people who own studios. So cool. Um, when when did you arrive in New York and get kind of involved even on just an attendee level at the like electronic events around the city um i came here to attend nyu so i was 18 at the time and uh i started going to the bunker probably a few months later and <laughs> that was gonna be one of my like it took me it took me a while to do do the math many years later but i'm like wait i'm i'm pretty sure you were sneaking into the bunker with some kind of fake ID, mm -hmm. like way before you were 21. Yeah, I had, it was really ridiculous that this worked, but I had, <laughs> I printed, so in the Philippines, um, some of their passports used to be handwritten. So I like would print out this, I, I photoshopped this like ID from the Philippines and put my photo on it and like gave it to the bouncer and was like, oh, I don't carry my real passport around. I just have a photocopy. And it works at public assembly every time. <laughs> so, you fooled Pop and Elijah. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think once Seza had to like 
pull me in because I was like not fooling them that day. But. Right. Um, so what, I'm just curious, obviously you talk about the bunker a little bit, but I know that the weird party was also a really big deal to you and just maybe talk a little bit about the influence and effect going to those parties at such a young age had on your, I mean, your music now that's really just really coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, weird, the weird parties was the first, they were the first place that I was invited to DJ and um, it's the weird parties um, were more post-punk and minimal synth kind of parties and I started going because my friend introduced it to me and I quickly became friends with all of the musicians who are involved with the label because they're all gear nerds and we would talk about synthesizers like all day and I didn't really know anything about that world so that was definitely an introduction for me um, and also an introduction to DJing where it's a little bit more of a forgiving uh, venue because you know it's it's punk music it's goth music yeah. so you can kind of do whatever you want so that was like a really important part of my like creative trajectory um and and yeah I started playing in bands that would perform at weird and I would just go every week it was every week on a Wednesday night and I would show up to class on Thursday at 8 a.m like (laughs) straight from the party pretty much yeah Um, I know the feeling when I was in college I used to go to Concrete Jungle and other parties in New York and then just yeah show up mm -hmm. I I was actually sober at the time but not not sleeping at all and showing up at class in the morning and everybody thought it was completely insane, but it's just when that's what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the- and another, I, sh- I should mention that another of the kind of, I guess like super influential for me was that every band that played on um, at Weird, or not played, but were on the label, um, they all use totally analog equipment, no no computers at all. And that was something that I had n- no idea about. So that was a really cool introduction. Was that just what, I mean, why was that the aesthetic of the party? Was it purely a retro thing or what? I mean, I know, I know that that's what it's all about. And I think of, I, I went to weird not definitely not every week but a handful of times and it just seemed like it was such this small party that just had such a massive massive influence on new york and eventually the world just music scene it's pretty Mm -hmm. pretty incredible so what as i guess more of an insider like what was behind these this decision to Mm -hmm. be analog only like why why what's the point I guess it was mostly to try to emulate the music of the of like the early '80s, and um, yeah, minimal synth and early cold wave, and all of those records were made like in bedrooms with tape machines. So a lot of people wanted to try to copy that, and I think at some point, um, for some of the years, Peter, who ran the party, like didn't allow computers on stage okay. at all. Wow. So <laughs> I think actually for the entirety of it. So we were doing all of our drum programming and sampling in an MPC. And um, and yeah, that was my intro to sampling, I guess, was not 
through uh, through Ableton, but yeah, using programming these kind of complicated. Yeah, and the things. lighting the lighting at Weird was very analog as well, from what I because I did a couple parties with like in collaboration with Weird at Public Assembly, and Peter would bring in these really cool, but really kind of archaic in a way mm-hmm. lighting situations. Yeah, the lighting was very specific. It was always like lit from behind the artists, so they had like an almost like godlike appearance on stage. Um, so, yeah, it's, I I think that Peter did a really amazing job of um, like cementing this aesthetic that we all like lived really hardcore by. Yeah, no, it was it's a really well defined aesthetic and. Like I said, it really, I feel like it had reverberations that we're still feeling um, around the world, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe to talk a bit about your production and the sound we're hearing on your new EP, um, can you maybe tell me a little bit about your your process? Um, and just, I'm also curious, it just, I don't know how to explain this, but you're, you, I, I knew that I wanted you to be on the label and I knew you were going to do something amazing. But when I heard this EP, it just felt like as an EP from somebody who hadn't released any music or at least solo music before, like really like completely not half baked at all. Just like a fully realized idea and like what what you're doing in the studio and how how you just came to realize this. Yeah, um, I guess I really wanted to make music that fit with the bunker and that was really helpful for me when I have some sort of direction and the way I made it was mostly through um yeah through modular jams and I was listening a lot to Adam TM for panning and mixing ideas because he's just really amazing at having a simple like sparse uh, track and then just doing insane things with the stereo panning. So I was trying to, um, yeah, I was just trying to do something different with the mixing. And a lot of the process was definitely post-processing. So, um, yeah, I guess that's where I was going. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is literally the first time you've, you've completed finished works as a solo artist. Yeah, actually, it's pretty sad, but I needed like somebody to tell me <laughs> a deadline. I gave you a deadline. Yeah. I gave you a kind of crazy deadline, and I didn't think you were really going to meet it. And then you, you totally did. A few weeks later, you had an EP done. It was really impressive. Yeah. Well, there's a funny story about that. <laughs> um, I think you had asked me to do it in November, and you said I want an EP from you for the end of the year. And I thought you meant by the end of 2018. <laughs> and I said, yes, of course I can do that. That's ridiculous. I have no idea. And then I read it like a week later and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> I have to finish this now. <laughs> but I think that's exactly why it turned out the way it was. It was a lot of like late nights. And I think that really influenced the music. Yeah, it's good. I've, I mean, I've mentioned this on the show many times, but like one of the just keys to the bunker New York record label is just me giving people strict deadlines. It just seems like honestly, very little happens. Otherwise I very, very rarely have an email in my inbox. It's just like, Hey, Mm -hmm. I've been working on an EP. Here it is. It does happen, but it's mostly me cracking the whip, giving people a deadline and then 
then magically, you know, shit gets done and people do things in a period of time that they had no idea they could do. But yeah. that's, that's really hilarious that you thought <laughs> you had a year more than you did when you agreed to it. Yeah, it, yeah, it was funny. I mean, the music making process before that was just like, I would make something and there'd just be so much self-questioning and just like, I don't know if it was any good. And I have all these friends who are making insane, amazing music. So I like didn't want to get compared to them and stuff. Yeah. But. It keeps, it honestly keeps a lot of artists, um, including some very close to me from getting things done because it's mm -hmm. exactly that. They're comparing themselves to Aphex Twin or Donato Dazzi or whoever mm -hmm. and just like, ah, oh, it's not good enough. And, but honestly, a lot of times it, it is, it's actually yeah. that good. It's just really hard to hear that when it's yourself. So anyways, it's, it's a phenomenal EP. It's officially released tomorrow and you can uh, hear it on our Bandcamp and our SoundCloud and it's out there. We actually really appreciate the purchases on the Bandcamp. That helps a lot with keeping the label going. Um, do you have, before we get into the mix with you, do you have any uh, other releases, shows, anything that you want to shout out? Um, I guess next month I'm playing at Smangtasia. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. So that's a festival that's happening in upstate New York. So if you'd like to go to that, you actually have to be invited. <laughs> so let me know. <laughs> yeah, let us know. You can reach out through the Bunker channels. But yeah, we have a very Bunker-heavy uh, part of that lineup. Oh yeah, you're with, playing. I'm playing, Servito's yeah. playing, Eris Drew is playing, Erica's playing. So yeah, we have, we're like, you know, playing a big role in that lineup and that should be a super fun thing. It's the very first yeah. one, which is always really fun. I remember the very first uh, sustained release. It's just, uh, it's always special when something hasn't really been defined in any way yet. And the, the crowd and the vibe kind of defines what it's going to be moving mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm planning on buying a lot of KY jelly powder and having some KY jelly wrestling. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing, but it's going to become a thing. Okay. See? We're defining this on the fly. Nobody saw that coming. Um, and with that, uh, should we get we get into the DJ mix here? Yeah, I'm playing a bunch of weird stuff. Um, there's no theme except that it's weird and slow. Sounds good. Um, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. We're here with Abby Echeverry, who's... Uh, yeah, going to get into the mix with us until the top of the hour. She was a visitor. 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 
She was a visitor. She was a visitor. She was a visitor. She was a visitor. She was a visitor. She was a visitor. She was a visitor. She was a visitor. She was a visitor. She was a visitor.
listening to Red Bull Radio.
to the bunker new york on red bull radio uh we've been in the mix with abby etcheverry who played a really brilliant live set for us earlier in the show her ep is out tomorrow on the bunker new york more info on that on our website thebunkerny.com um other announcements we're doing a pride party at elsewhere on friday june 29th the lineup is Danny Days, Kim Ann Foxman, Mike Servito, Justin Cudmore, Eris Drew, Carlos Safrant, Lawrence Flax, Ospex, Maxime Robillard, Pure Emulence, and DJ Sophia. So really super stacked lineup. We're very excited about that. Um, more info on that, tickets, etc. on our website. Again, thebunkerny.com. Uh, Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks. This is The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio.